So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the first riot of the Luddites. Then on Tuesday, we unearthed the mad coincidence of the day two different Dennis the Menaces made their comic strip debuts. On Wednesday, the day the Spanish conquered the last Maya kingdom. Thursday was the day Colonel Sanders sued KFC. And on Friday, we recall how Vincent van Gogh's sister-in-law made his name. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Thank you so much for all your feedback on our last episode. I don't think we've ever had such a positive reaction. Uh, so thank you. We love it when you share the good news. Uh, hello to Hannah, who's written in to say she loves Alex's section of the show. She says the foxhole is positive and informative, and it's been instrumental in me being more open talking about sex with my partner. That sounds good so far, Hannah. It gets bad. She says... I purchased several toys to take on my honeymoon with my new husband and was excited to get to the hotel. However, Dubai Customs got in our way. It hadn't occurred to me that they might not permit sex toys to enter the country. And as a result, at 2am, we had an embarrassing hour at Customs, declaring the toys and signing away around £100 worth of joy to be incinerated. Hannah, I am so sorry that uh, our good intentions to spice up your marriage blew up quite so spectacularly. But thank you for the warning. Don't take sex toys to Dubai, folks. Uh, Hannah signs off, in fact, by saying she observed in the malls in Dubai several lingerie shops with lots of mannequins modelling the latest designs. She says it appears women can look attractive and sexy in Dubai, but heaven forbid they try to enjoy sex. Uh, Thank you for that, Hannah. And maybe restock your bedside cabinet now you're safely back in the UK. Uh, This week's life hack is with a man fan called Declan who wrote in after a show in the last series in which Ollie and I were typically sceptical about male makeup counters being the future of cosmetics. He's a makeup artist and he says he frequently advises men actually. Lawyers who want to look good in court, CEOs who want to look sharp in a meeting, how to wear makeup. So if male makeup really is the next big trend, we wanted to invite him on to share his male makeup tips. That's coming up. Uh, Plus the middle feature interview is with a lady Busted would have referred to as an air hostess, but of course we now call flight attendant. Uh, It's an interesting behind the scenes snapshot of what life is like serving sometimes difficult customers up in the skies. Uh, Before we get going, big thanks to online eyewear company Arlo Wolf for making this episode possible. They are our sponsors for today. Uh, They do really stunning, fashionable specs at a truly bargainous price. All their glasses and sunglasses are just 65 quid, and that includes prescription lenses. They send you four frames for a week, so you can choose the ones that you want to go ahead and order. And then when you do, all their specs come with anti-reflective coatings on the lenses, a fold-flat case, and a cleaning cloth. So it's really good if you are something of a fashionista, if you want to try the latest designs without breaking the bank. Uh, So go ahead, go to arlowolf.com. And just for being a man fan, you get 10% off your final purchase when using our discount code MAN. That's M-A-N-N. Right, Uh, in this episode you will learn how many video games you need to play before you can become an esports professional. You'll learn how to assume the visionary position and you'll learn how not to smuggle drugs at 30,000 feet. Let's go. 
on this week's Modern Man. I mean, any cabin crew worth their salt is not going to have a shag in the toilet. I mean, <laughs> Tricky customers, fixed smiles and severe turbulence. Life in the cabin crew. So you have a scented fog that's blowing all over you during the copulatory act. And Alex Fox reveals how to passionately please your partner during pregnancy. But first, it's time for the zeitgeist. All the trends that you need to know about for the week ahead with a man who, despite the fact we are teetering on the edge of Movember, apparently has started trimming his beard. It's Ollie Pitt. I've always trimmed my beard. I just did it more than usual. You just like to stick out from the rest of the crowd, don't you? That's hard. I'm like five foot five. Uh, Ollie, what are the trends of the week? Micro generations. We're going to start with a quiz. You ready for it? Is this the micro generation game? Are you in your late 30s? to 40s. I suppose if you must define 36 as your late 30s, then yes. Just write that down. Yes. Do you know what Ask Jeeves is and are you familiar with (laughs) dial-up? Yes. Both have frustrated my attempts to access pornography. Do you have a hankering to move to Margate or Wistable? I wouldn't call it hankering, but it's certainly a curiosity. I'm Margate curious. Do you pretend you grew up with Nirvana, but actually you were a bit young? Yes. Why are you asking me these questions, Mystic Meg? Well, it sounds like that you Mm. are a zenial. A what? You're a zenial, a micro-generation that bridges the gap between the millennial and Generation X. I'm actually pleased about this trend, Ollie, because I've never ever heard a term for it before. Basically, like I and you, really... You know, I use Facebook and Twitter, but I wouldn't use Snapchat. Snapchat is just a few years younger than me. Like, I know what it is, but I have no time for it. Well, that's one of the other questions, actually. Is Facebook your favourite social network? Yes, although I suspect that puts you in the senior category, actually, doesn't it? Not, not according to this, uh, this, this questionnaire that was put together by Harper's Bazaar, and I'm sure it's incredibly accurate and well-researched. So... You and Harper's Bazaar? Like, seriously, have you got a subscription or what? No, they just seem to pop up quite so often. What millennial like... reads Harper's Bazaar? <laughs> I mean, Maybe your borderline country living OAP, Ollie Pitt. These are people, they're not moving to the suburbs, they're going into the cities, but di- like different cities, and they are reinventing them. Yeah. And they're, uh, they're the kind of people that haven't stopped going to festivals or the gym, even though they probably should. Beyond marketeers having a new category to sell us shit, though, why is it important that we define ourselves as any particular generation? Well, I suppose it gives us a, a sense of belonging, doesn't it? You could say, well, if they're born between here and here, I know I'm likely to get on with them because they will know what Ask Jeeves is. That kind of lets you off the hook a little bit, though, doesn't it? Because it's like, oh, I don't need to understand this stuff that a 25-year-old's into because I'm too old. Whereas actually, you know, we should all attempt to understand a little bit more about the world around us, don't you think? I don't know. I I remember growing up and my dad would be like... I don't understand, and then just walk off as if to say, I don't care. I mean, why Why try and overload and what would you be doing when he said stuff? that? I don't know. It could be listening to a, a type of music and it'd be like, well, what, I, that makes no sense to me. Or it could be me talking about my mini disc player. It would make no sense to him. Or... So that's the thing, isn't it? So there used to be this generational difference of like 25 years, you know, between parent and son. Whereas now there can be someone who's five years younger than you who you can't really relate to in terms of what they consume and what they're into. Yeah, That's exactly. A big shift. I, I had a conversation today with a 24-year-old who used the phrase TDLR. In normal conversation, I was lost. I think it's TLDR, actually, but I don't know how to correct you without sounding like a prick. Maybe there's like another sort of micro-generation that's spawning where, where, that I fit into, which is like in between the zennial and the millennial. And actually, that's kind of it, isn't it? The millennial 
demographic. It's so broad. It covers such a wide range of people, wide range of, uh, of ages. We now need these little micro generations to help us define our little different attributes because, you know, things are changing so quickly. What else have you got for us this week? Amazon Key. Is this really a new product? Well, it's a product and service, but the premise is simple, really. Amazon have decided that they want to not only be in your home in device form, but in real form as well. So they're giving Prime users in the United States to start with anyway, the option to allow delivery drivers access into their house. And they're doing this. What? Yeah, and they're, they're doing it using uh, the Amazon Smart Lock and the Amazon Cloud Cam. And basically, these things work together. And a delivery driver can turn up with your package of, uh, I don't know, uh, what do you buy on Amazon? Anything? Trainers? Well, it depends uh, if Alex Vox has been ordering it for me. And then um, they can get into your house and put that parcel in your porch or wherever so that you don't have to be there. No, no, no. Porch is one thing. I mean, at the moment, you can specify porch. Bedroom, that's something else, isn't it? I mean, I get the uh, convenience of I would like Amazon to literally restock my toilet roll for me, but it's beginning to get a bit Black Mirror, isn't it? Well, this is why I think they've launched it with the with the camera. So the idea of the camera is that it's pointed on your door and you can actually, you get live updates as they're delivering it. So it will say, oh, delivery drivers arriving at your house, uh, they're at your house, and then you you can actually watch them on your phone delivering the package but i'm with you like i think they've just kind of gone a step too far also if you've got the fully automated amazon integrated house what's to stop the amazon delivery driver once you've given him access to your house getting in there and then saying alexa please obey my orders now and lock the owner out forever yeah who does it obey alexa please turn off the cloud cam okay time for you to update us mr pitt in how you've been doing in your ongoing quest to become a true trendsetter. Uh, last week, Manfan Robert suggested that you become an esports megastar. I assume that's been going very well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I sound hesitant, but actually, I feel like I've made some decent progress. I have spoken to a shoutcaster. What's one of them? So, a shoutcaster is basically a commentator. Not basically, that's exactly what they are, but for esports. And the chap I spoke to is a, a bloke called Andy Day, uh, and he goes by the name of Vidius. And he is a shoutcaster <laughs> on League of Legends. And uh, I thought I'd talk to him because, you know, I talk. I'm not very good at playing computer games. So I thought if I'm going to get into this kind of esports uh, and become a superstar or whatever, this is probably quite a good route for me. He told me that he, he wanted to become a professional gamer originally. And to do that, he had to play 9,000 ranked they call them which is like uh it means that you're scored every time that you play one of these games Nine thousand ranked games while he was at university they're roughly 40 minutes each and he managed to get into the top 300 gamers globally but that was that's not enough you've got to get into the top 50 if you want to be a professional gamer so instead because of his uh extensive knowledge of the league of legends game and he is a full-time shoutcaster on esports and uh in shoutcasting commentary, there are two types of commentator. There's the colour commentator and there's the play-by-play -play commentator. The colour commentator basically talks about the logistics of the game and how it works, and they're the knowledgeable ones. Guess huh. which one I decided to try? <laughs> so I had to go on a piece of uh, a genuine piece of League of Legends esports footage, and we can hear the results right now. Oh, look! There's a Caps Fnatic, Team Fnatic, he, he is just all over the place. He's coming in in a in like a wizard outfit and then 
what is that? They're like weird stones that are bubbling up and they go, oh, look at that, and they disappear and he's just flinging them into the face of the thing and the red turret has been destroyed. What a move, an incredible uh, move there. And he's growing, uh, what, no, what is he doing? No, there's some kind of like laser beam going in there, something out of James Bond, and he's dug a tunnel and the tunnel then he's shooting all kinds of stuff and then that, oh, that's exploded. Oh my God, he's just, he's, he's fallen into the ravine and, and, the, and, and that, what is going on? Literally, what is going on? I have no idea, but it's exciting. There's lots of colours. Mm. You were sort of doing bad audio description for the blind uh, and also not really adding a great deal of detail for those who could see what was going on, I imagine. But you, you did manage to get a reference to a wizard's cloak in there and I did enjoy that. <laughs> I did I got, I did get better as I was going on. Like I, I That was like a, just a quick punt at it. But the trouble is there's so much going on. Did he give it. you any tips as to how to bluff your way through that then? Because uh, obviously you never hear professional commentators ever say, oh, what's going on? They've got to talk as if they're interested and knowledgeable about something that is going on. Well, you say that, but I asked him for the top three like go-to phrases if I get stuck, right? So these are things to sort of just say. And the top one was, and this is apparently really like well-known in the League of Legends in their songbook, if you like, is what was that? That is how confusing it is. That's like their number one go-to thing. What was that? Yeah, but isn't that like, what was that? Like, what insane move has he just pulled off? I Rather in- than, like, literally, I don't understand what I'm watching. It, no, it's a I, different thing. I interpreted it as, what was that? As in, what was that? And I don't know about you, but I, I could certainly listen to another few minutes of that. So if you want to see all of Ollie's effort at um, shout blasting or whatever it's called, you shout, can shout watch the, casting, the Twitch casting. video on our website. Uh, what is Twitch? I don't even know what that is. It's like YouTube for gamers. It's fine. I'm a zenial. doesn't matter that I don't know. We should open the envelope for this week's listener suggestion, Ollie. Are you excited? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, you actually, are. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah because I learned a lot this means, week. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Here okay. you go. Okay. Ollie Piat. Today's task comes courtesy of Louise, who says, I'd like Ollie to be totally ethical for a week. (laughs) I'm about to move house. I'm not going to be ethical. (laughs) You laugh in the face of ethics. Uh, I I am an ethical person. What the hell? I think what she's done is she's picked up on the fact that you you went vegan in the last... You've gone back, by the way, to pescatarianism now, haven't you? Fish aren't sentient. She's picked up on the idea that perhaps you're, you know, a weak person like all of us and, and maybe in your day-to-day life, you aren't quite as ethical as you'd like to be. We are going to do an ethical audit on a week of your purchases. Oh my God, this is going to be so hard. I've had to book in an end-of-tenancy cleaner. Shall I ask them where all of their products are produced? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ecova only. And again, remind listeners, I know you're moving house, but remind listeners the region that you live in. Dorset. Basically, you're not in Shoreditch. So it's not the kind of place where when you go to the pub, the barman will have a ready spiel about where the hops were brewed. No. So that's kind of what we're testing, really, is is how, how easy or difficult is it to try and live your life knowing that the, the source of everything and the implications of all the things that you are consuming. Yeah. You up for it? I feel like I have no choice. You don't. Uh, if you have a suggestion for Ollie to investigate on next week's show, then head to modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and click on Feedback. Thanks, Ollie. Hello, man fans. I am Declan Scammell. I am a male makeup artist and men's grooming expert with cosmetics. And these are my three Squarespace life hacks for wearing makeup at work. 
My first tip is nothing to do with makeup. It's actually just to eat and drink healthy. If you're getting the vitamins that you need, your body is going to actually do a lot of the work for you. You want to prevent the need to cover things up with makeup. Getting as much sleep as you can, getting as much water in your body as you can, and getting a reasonably healthy diet will help you along these steps. So my second tip is don't try any product out on the day you need it. Don't be last minute. Don't go and buy a concealer to cover up some dark circles, wear it to a meeting, then look in the mirror afterwards and find out it's the completely wrong shade and everyone's been looking at you. Go out for a meal, go out with friends, ask people about your skin when you're wearing it. And also if people say your skin looks normal, that's actually a good thing. You don't want people to notice you're wearing anything. So if people actually say, yeah, it looks okay, that's actually a really good response because they're not noticing an obvious difference. And my final tip is don't buy online. I know this sounds counterintuitive with our sort of online easy shopping presence that we have now. You know, we don't like to go into the shops, we like to buy online, have it here next day. But with makeup, you really want the product to look perfect on your skin. Go get matched to your skin tone, walk outside the shop and look in real light and see what you think of it. And of course, once you've got the product you like and you're happy with it, you can then feel free to repurchase it online because you know what you're going for. Those are my three Squarespace life hacks. If you'd like to find out more life hacks, please go to my Squarespace website, DeclanScammell.com. Thanks to Declan for sharing his Squarespace life hacks. Remember, you can share your own expert advice in minutes by building your blog with Squarespace, the finest web building platform known to mankind. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MAN, that's M-A-N-N, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, are you a good flyer? Because I'm not. I I seem to spend most of any given plane journey distracting myself from a dull fear of impending death. And really, there's only two things that will make me feel better. Uh, Either absorbing myself into a Disney musical or a Judd Apatow movie, or chatting to the cabin crew. Because a really good flight attendant, one who fills you in on your destination or just remembers to bring you that extra hot water at 1am, can make all the difference to an anxious flyer like me. So I wanted to meet one on the ground and find out how the job is for them. Daisy White spent 12 years in the air working for Monarch and Caledonian amongst others. What really remains with her now isn't the rigorous training or the international travel, it's dealing with the general public. A lot of people would say, oh, is it really hard doing a night Ibiza flight on short haul? And actually, a lot of the time, the most difficult passengers wouldn't be on that flight. They'd just be full of party people who were intent on having fun and and you could have a laugh with them. So uh, most difficult passengers are probably people who don't like the authority of the crew. If you work for you know a schedule airline, you work in first, you find that the passengers are all generally very easy because they're very uh, comfortable in their position. They fly a lot, they know what to expect from first, and, and they're all generally very easy to deal with. I used to really like working with them and get down to business, and sometimes it's a case of perhaps someone's been upgraded and, and they have an issue that isn't really a genuine issue, but they're making a fuss because they possibly think that they should be getting more than, than can be offered to them. It might be something that can't be offered as food because obviously in the air you know, can't kind of stop off at Tesco's and get more food. So <laughs> it might be the fact that you know, I don't like the food or, or I don't like this particular piece of food. I haven't ordered a, um, 
a special meal and uh, but I still don't like the food I want you to do something else for me and, and find something else and I want it now and it and that's very difficult to calm down if someone firmly believes that they are entitled to something they don't really care about making a noise and disrupting passengers next to him who are who are generally you know trying to work in business class they've got young families how do you with a friendly smile on your face how do you make it very clear that you're the train cabin crew there for their safety you different airlines have different policies but some airlines have a red card policy so that, Tell me about this. So <laughs> if a passenger is is really kicking off and threatening the safety of the passengers around him and the crew, then you can give a yellow card. So the yellow card has a written statement which you would then read to the passenger to say that just to be aware it's been noted that you are being disruptive and that you are um, disobeying civil aviation law. So therefore, you, you know, just be aware that and you're that in trouble. And that pacifies the situation. Actually, yes. Really. <laughs> it, it because. You, you try is it literally very hard a piece of it. card? It's a bit of card with a bit of paper on and just say, look, you know, because you'd be lazing with the flight deck as well, the yeah. pilots too, and the whole crew would be aware. And if you, you have to kind of think of the safety of the other passengers too. If this person is creating a really, really big fuss, you don't want them suddenly kicking off and, and hurting someone else or they're obviously upsetting all your other passengers. Uh, and so, yeah, so there'll be a yellow card system and then if they went further, there will be a red card system. Which basically says that's it. Sorry, you're going to be met with the police at the end. You've, you know, you've had your time. And, uh, and I'm guessing most of the people then never get to the red card. The no, because very... the red card does involve a call to the police, therefore a cost to the airline and the airport delays everything. Yeah. So you I mean, want to give them the yellow card and get them to shut the fuck up, basically. Yeah, exactly. You want you want to get round them. It, you know, you try and talk them down as much as you can. And often, if you you being, you know, you are asserting your authority, but equally you are trying to to talk them down and get round them in a way that they kind of think that they've won. Because they tend to see it as a as an opposing match, as you know, there's this cabin crew. And she's telling me what to do, and I don't like it at all. Whereas if you can get them to to kind of turn it around and and think it's their idea, you could say, oh, you know, maybe maybe you could have some cheese on your bread or something. And they're like, oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, cheese. What well, I mean, what kind of cheese do you like? Oh, I really like you know camembert or something. And hopefully you got it in the galley. But if you can get it around so they think they've won. Mm. Then, then that's fantastic. What about the drinking thing? Because there's drinking on board, and as you say, there's rules about that. Mm. There's only so much you're allowed to drink before the crew are, are allowed to say you've had too much. So, mm. but there are no such rules in the airport before you get on the plane. And I do sometimes wonder when I see people in the weather spoons at four in the morning at Heathrow, yeah. why that is allowed to happen. I mean, that can't make life easier for you. I guess it would be really, really hard to police with the amount of people going through the hubs just in the UK. But I, I know that when you pass through, you're, you're being watched through security. And I know that if when you go through the gate to get on board the aircraft, if you are considered to be drunk, then you can be stopped at that point. And again, that's very much like a person to person assessment and again when you get on board if the crew think that you're not actually fit to fly I have asked for a passenger to be offloaded when they've come on and it's been obvious that they are very 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 drunk and they kind of staggered on and missed the seat and cannoned off someone else <laughs> just, no 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 sorry you just can't and how did they take that news uh, they was they were too drunk to care really <laughs> so what happened the police come on turn today? around and they toddle off the again. airport security it's who does airport it security it was airport security it can be the police if it escalates but you don't want to stop people having fun. And I think with the holiday companies, especially with the charter, you you don't want to to ban drinking on, on an airline because you don't want to, to stop people from having fun. But people do have to know when to stop themselves. And that kind of annoys me a little bit because you think you're all adults. As an adult, you should know that you're about to get in a metal tube and take off and, and fly at 35,000 feet. And you are remote from any medical help. You're remote from any other help. And, and you should think, OK, maybe I shouldn't get completely hammered before I get on board. What kind of emergencies did you come up against as cabin crew during your career? The one that sticks in my mind is a couple of guys, young guys, 
very happy on the flight. Uh, one of them just came down to the, the back galley and, and said he didn't feel very well. He was clutching his stomach and he just keeled over on the galley floor. And, and that is a fairly common occurrence. But he, uh, he was so pale. I've never seen that kind of pale. And we couldn't kind of bring him round and we were liaising with the, the medical. We were actually fairly close to Gatwick by them. So we carried on to Gatwick and passed over to the paramedics. And it, it did turn out when we got the information back that he had... Uh, he was smuggling drugs and he had swallowed several condoms full of, I don't know what, heroin, cocaine. Uh, and one of them had burst inside him, uh, which was was really good that we were near Gatwick because obviously that's a, that's a major medical emergency and he could have just died in front of us. Yeah. Generally, if, if someone dies and you've been going at it for the CPR, if they died in their seat, you'd probably cover them up with a blanket and keep the seatbelt on if it was a night flight. Just imagine being the person sitting next to that person who has to stay in if, their seat yeah, for landing. It must be horrible, but they might not have noticed because... Well, they notice when you put a blanket over them. Not necessarily, because a lot of people stay like that on night flights coming back across the Atlantic. And actually, when you patrol the cabin, because passengers are sleeping, and mm. I don't know if they notice or not, but the cabin crew are constantly doing patrols of the cabin mm. just to check if anyone is in trouble. And really, you, you might not actually have noticed. But, we, I mean, we were told to to just kind of respect as much as possible. And obviously, if they're travelling with families, that's a, they would have noticed, and that's a horrific thing to happen. Mm. So, you, yeah, you just treat it with as much respect as you possibly can. In terms of emotional distress of passengers, what was the worst situation you had to deal with there? Probably uh, emergency landings and things. I mean, you can't fly for 11 years and not come across a few emergencies. And, and one that does stick in my mind is that we, uh, we took off from an island uh, near Greece and we hit something on the runway as we took off and we, we were going quite low and I remember thinking oh it's still quite low it's not really good so the passengers weren't aware of anything we were called up to do an emergency briefing they said we're going to go back because we've got issues we don't know what we've hit and we don't know what's knocked out in the aircraft and, and who, who told who that information the pilot told you this was yeah this comes did you tell the passengers no the no. passengers didn't know you were turning back. The passengers knew we were turning back, but they weren't given... We, as crew, knew that we were preparing for what could possibly be an emergency landing. But Some it, of them must have heard the thing you hit, though. It, it wasn't that obvious. Mm. The only reason we knew there was something wrong with crew was because we were quite low, and you get used to the destinations that you go to and how high or low. But even then, I mean, it could have been an air traffic control thing. We, we didn't know until... But the main thing, I think, is with all the training and things is to keep the passengers quite calm mm. and obviously they want to be informed and it's really important they're kept informed but you do have to keep them calm there's no point in having them panic so mm. when we landed back in we landed okay thankfully and we had to sit on the the ground while we waited for all sorts of engineers and, and all sorts of things and I can't remember why we were on the ground for three hours but there was a woman panicking in the back galley and I was uh, by myself it was a 737 so obviously not a huge aircraft uh, and she was just near to having a panic attack and all the other passengers pushing around her, and was that because she didn't want to take off again, having been in the this plane was, that took off and landed? This was after fairly close to um, another incident that had occurred, and people were very aware because it had been in the news, and, and they were very scared. And for her, I think that, and I think she was a bit claustrophobic too, and she was mm. very, very distressed. You know, not someone who was being dramatic. She mm. was genuinely very, very distressed, and mm. they wouldn't let us off the aircraft. They wouldn't let her off, and she came in the back galley and ended up sitting on the seat with my arms around her, with her sobbing her heart out on my shoulder, but. I do think when you're crew, you do actually have to care about people. It's it's very funny to to you know say oh the passengers you know they get on they get off they're they're self loading cargo or whatever. But you do have to care about people to work with them. You have to to want to help. What's the thing that scares you the most about flying? Because you've flown a lot. If yeah. I asked you what's the thing that reassures you, I'm sure you could reel off a million things about <laughs> how it's safer than driving and all the rest of it. But knowing what you know, what actually scares you about it? 
no crew that you speak to would would not have a healthy respect to the fact that it is completely remote you are you are trapped to this tube with x amount of people and you're completely reliant on the crew and if something happens you have to deal with it whether it's a medical emergency whether it's it's a fire or, or something you're trapped you're up there and i can really understand and sympathize with people who are scared of flying and who are claustrophobic because uh, yeah it, it is scary and you were flying in the period immediately after 9-11 yes how did that threat affect the way that you felt on board yeah, it did. It affected us hugely. I came in from a flight that morning and a very early flight, and and got up uh, th- that afternoon to find out what had happened. And from then on, many many things changed for obvious reasons. But the security was was unbelievably tight, as it should be. But we we spent a lot of time looking for suspect packages and and doing you know endless checks around the aircraft. And we did actually, in a couple of weeks later, we did actually find something under the one of the aircraft seats. We were coming into land and everyone had to kind of put the seatbelts on and get into land. And there was a package under one of the crew seats that nobody owned up to. And we did numerous PAs and obviously we passed this on to the pilots. And we were just that short of, of the pilots getting in touch with the the ground and saying look we got this package on board uh, and then someone woke up and said oh it's my camera case it must have slid back when it was turbulent things like that that wouldn't have occurred to you before you might have gone mm. oh you know someone's lost a bag or something mm. now it's a suspect package and airlines changed completely i mean i'm a child of the 80s i remember when i was a kid being allowed into the cockpit regularly every yeah. time i ever flew to a foreign country there'd yeah. be a bit when i was six or seven years old where they'd say, are there any kids on board? Come and have a look in the cockpit. Yeah. And that's unthinkable now, isn't it? It can't happen now. And it is really, really sad because obviously I've got kids now and I would love to be able to go, oh, you know, come on, let's let's go and ask the pilot if we can go visit in the cockpit. And it used to be a really lovely way of bonding with the passengers and a lovely way of, of saying to them, oh, you know, this is how the aircraft works. And you think that the kids seeing the cockpit might then have gone on to be future pilots because they're so inspired. And it, it used to be a really nice thing to do. And yeah. obviously now... You just you can't do any of it. And could you help dulling the voice inside you that made you suspicious about certain passengers? I mean, it's natural that you're going to start looking no. around and thinking, could this person be plotting something? Yeah, I, I think you... After that, it, it did all change, and you did become... Obviously, you're aware of certain people anyway, and you've, you develop a little bit of a, a sense of, of who might kick off and who might not. But yes, now you'd be looking for other things. And, and, and someone you might have identified as a nervous passenger previously because they're sweaty and, and trembling and a bit nervous. Now you're thinking, oh, oh, maybe I should keep a bit of a closer eye on them. You know, Maybe they're, they're kind of planning to do something, which wouldn't have occurred to us before. But now you're you're doubly staring at them, and and actually this poor person probably is just a nervous flyer. But you've got eyes on them just just because. Yeah. And and one of the nice things that has almost been been wrecked by that is there used to be such a cosmopolitan crowd on the aircraft yeah. going to various destinations, and everyone you know there'd be lots of different faiths, lots of different ages, and whilst everyone didn't always get on, that people would be talking to each other. There'd be a really nice kind of sense of, oh yeah, he's sat next to me. I'll, I'll have a chat to him or. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's definitely a whole lot scarier. What, what is a typical kind of cabin crew salary? I think I started off on around about 12000 And then you get flight pay. So the money is paid on an hourly rate every time you, lo- you leave base. So you're down route and you're earning this extra, I don't know, £2 an hour, £5 an hour. You're meant to put it towards your food. 
and and that's kind of where your flight pay goes but obviously if you need to pay your rent on your house you take things in your suitcase like a can of beans and you eat them down route and then you save your flight money and you pay your rent when you get back home Mm. so it wasn't very well paid and I understand it still isn't very well paid I want to talk about the cabin crew lifestyle there are some cliches involved with this I'm sure but I imagine that they're cliches because they might be based on fact. <laughs> are there quite a lot of romantic liaisons that go on between cabin crew when they have two days to kill in the Bahamas with each other? Yes. And there were more with Charter Airlines because it's a treat to get a nice long-haul trip and, and it's a, a bit different from the norm. The crew do really bond on the flight. You've, you've, you have a great team. And then you're down route with a load of people. And it's uh, it's not like Love Island, because, yeah, that would just be wrong and weird. But, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people do, do hook up. And are those relationships sort of obviously casual because it comes about from the fact that you're in a place for two days? Or do you know people that have had long-term relationships off the back of that? I know people that have gone on to get married. I keep in touch with a lot of my ex-cabin crew friends, and they're scattered all over the world. And, and there are people that I've been on trip with, and you know they've hooked up around route, and now they've been married for 12 years, and they've got three kids, and... It's just bizarre when you think back and you think, oh, we were on the beach and yeah, we were having a drink at the bar. And, oh, wow. And then you got married and now we're old. <laughs> <laughs> and what about those who are already in relationships? Are there a lot of pilots cheating on their wives? No, I think that one's a bit of a cliche. Mostly the pilots, they'd either be in various, you know, different airlines have different things, but the pilots would either be in a separate hotel, they would go and do their thing and the crew would go and do, you know, their thing. A better hotel? No. Interesting. No, you'd think that they would have like I've, a super glamour. Yes, I'd hotel. imagine there's like strict rank there. No. No, really. I think those golden days are gone. I think possibly in the 60s and 70s, from what I hear, yes, definitely. But now, no. Everyone's kind of pretty equal. But why not in the same hotel then? Uh, I don't know. It's to I stop them cheating on their wives, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's to stop them drinking, isn't it? That's really what I mean. That's another cliche, isn't it? The flight with Denzel Washington thing. That but is, that's. Is it's, that a thing you saw as well? Pilots going drinking when really they're flying the next day and they shouldn't be? No. And again, it, it, is, it is weird. Yes, the crew would go out for a drink. But the pilots who, and especially the ones that I flew with, they are more like your dad especially me at 19, and and they do tend to look after the crew. Yes, you're going to get some who are going to cheat or, or do whatever, but uh, I think the whole thing does really get blown out of proportion, and, and generally they're, they're there to do a job. When you are in an exotic location for 48 hours, but you're trying to watch your budget, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you might have a can of baked beans with you to eat for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? I mean, going to the beach, that's free. Yeah, beach. Uh, going to the bar and having a cheap drink, that's, you know, nearly free. Yeah. What else can you do? What's your tip for spending, you know, a I day think, in an exciting place? Yeah, I think you have to get the most of it. Well, no, some crew would sit in their rooms and eat their cans of beans and tuna fish and sweet corns. They're all favourites for, you know, crew sitting in their rooms. Uh, a lot of us would find out exactly what you could do for free and, and say, oh, you know, we're crew, we're here for a day. Perhaps the hotel knows you. It depends where you go, but I was doing a lot of Caribbean routes and the, the tour guides would say to us oh you know can you can you say to your friends that that I do a really good tour and and I'll take you for a free tour and so we'd go around and and have this amazing free tour and and then come back and say oh you know I recommend it to a friend who's going on holiday and and you know that's that's contributing to the local economy but having a great time as well and and not spending the money that we need to pay the rent the end of the month. Sometimes I guess you must have spent the money though right? Oh yeah oh yeah. What was the thing that you really treated yourself to? Probably when we, we used to go to the market sometimes in uh, Cancun had a great tourist market, probably still does, fantastic. Uh, and we used to go and buy lots of jewellery, rugs and, and all lovely things. And we would come back with these huge plastic bags that we then have to fit into the crew stowage in the aircraft. And the poor aircraft was probably weighed down at the back by then. How much are you allowed? 
Can you check in the bag if you want? Yeah. How yeah, much? The crew bags go If you in. went and bought, you know, a chair, could you bring that back? You could. You'd have to check it in separately, but you could. I've known people buy lawnmowers in the States. No. And, yeah. But so they what's would the benefit? save on the dollar. Would they? The dollar's rubbish at the moment, isn't it? Well, dollar to pound is rubbish. Yeah. But yeah, it but used then, to be really good. It, used to, it was half price, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, pretty much half price. If you wanted a big lawnmower, that was it. <laughs> That's <laughs> just so funny. I mean, I thought eating baked beans in a room in the Barbados was the low point, but actually going to America to buy a lawnmower might be even more boring I than have that. seen it happen. It was very funny. He was really happy, though. He didn't care. He had his lawnmower. And are there some people who actually frankly don't make any money at all out of being cabin crew because you know they go to florida they go to disney world and yeah. that's that's the, they do it as a lifestyle yeah the pay is it just isn't great but you kind of have to balance it between yes you've got to pay the rent at the end of the month and yes you want to take advantage of going to these amazing places and try and, and try and do and see as much as possible okay give us some postcards what were the best things postcards. you did um mexico cancun we went to tulum and then uh, this tour guide approached us and said, oh, do you want to come swimming in a lagoon with loads of exotic fish? And because of a load of us, <laughs> and we had a big old captain who looked like Santa Claus, we thought yeah. it would be fine. So we went off on a rickety bus with loads of chickens, and it was the most epic day. And then they gave us fruit punch, uh, rum punch, at the end of the day. It was just amazing. We were swimming in this massively deep lagoon with just flippers and snorkels right out in the middle. Okay, what else? Grenada. Singing under a waterfall because we'd had quite a lot of rum punch. And again, on, a, on an excursion around Recurring the island. Recurring theme here. Uh, that was amazing, under the waterfall. And obviously that's Spice Island. So that was a lot of nutmeg in our rum punch then. One more. Barbados, St. James Bay. Amazing, amazing beach. Oh, actually, I've got another one. Yeah. Tel Aviv, sofas mm. on the beach with lots of fairy lights. And then playing an impromptu game of football at half past <laughs> one in the morning. <laughs> so the thing is, you're supposed to be recuperating, are you not? in that day between flights that's why you have it oh, it depends how long if you you're get spending there. all day awake and then drinking a load of rum punch under a waterfall you know how, how revived do you feel the next day when you're back on the flight well thing is with charter you used to get a long time away so it's not like now the chips are cut as i understand it and you may just get the one day which is why a lot of people spend it sleeping in their room because they're completely exhausted but with the charter we would we actually had one of our best trips was uh, 12 days long what <laughs> 12 brilliant. days we used to go to Cancun and then have I think 8 days there and then we would go on to Dominican and with then food and hotel back. paid for yeah that's pretty good isn't it that it used to be really really good for, for charter and, and that was a great trip especially if you got your mates along and you, you could then do all these things like swimming in lagoons and, and do mad stuff and then when I worked for a scheduled airline later there is, there is far less of that people are saving money you go home because you need to sleep because you're on you know, as you say short duty you can't go out drinking night before when you've got to fly and operate an aircraft on the way home and it, it cuts down your fun time okay and whilst we're on the subject of fun time <laughs> I mean, it is a cliche. It's the question everyone asks you, right? Mile High Club. Oh, just you just wouldn't unless you had a private jet. I just cannot see why you would want to have sex in a toilet, even in first class. No, just, just no, <laughs> even you just the first wouldn't. class toilet. No, no, no. What did people get up to in the toilets? Oh, they had sex, obviously. That, you saw that happen? Thing. I didn't see them getting getting on with it. No, but is, you, it was obvious. Good, but it was blatantly obvious. Yes. Was it? And when you find lots of used condoms in the toilet, I mean, did you? Is that you? a thing? Yeah. So, but passengers never cabin crew. Not cabin crew, no. Yeah. I mean, any cabin crew worth their salt is not going to have a shag in the toilet. I mean, yeah. ugh. <laughs> and again, I'm just curious, was there a particular clientele that seemed more likely to go for that? What class were they flying? Heterosexual, Gen- homosexual? Generally younger ones. Or, actually, conversely, older ones who want to take it off their bucket list just because <laughs> they want to say they've done it. And that's just wrong. There, there are many things you put on your bucket list. Sex in a, in a toilet of an aircraft is just no. And the smoking thing, you know, when they say, please don't smoke in the toilet, like you can smoke anywhere. 
Is that a thing? Is that is that a warning because that's still a thing people do? It seems so obvious not to do it. People do people do still smoke in the toilet and it, it's a really stupid thing to do. I've I mean like unbelievably stupid, right? Yes, I mean I know just, people used to smoke on flights, but you could set yes. fire to the plane. Yes. I mean if you ever caught people doing that, what did you say to them? Well, they, the alarm is a lot more sensitive in the toilets than, than they might think on any aircraft. So if, if you do decide to have a sneaky fag in the toilet, you are going to get caught out, whether it's the cabin crew smelling the smoke or the uh, the alarm going off in the toilet. And and if you're having a crafty fag and the alarm goes off and the cabin crew fling open the door with a fire extinguisher, then not only are you going to be quite embarrassed, but you also get hefty fine. And I believe it's gone up. If it's fine to smoke, just don't do it at 35,000 feet in a metal tube with lots of flammable things. Is there an airline you won't fly? Which one is it? I wouldn't fly Ryanair. Why? Sorry, I just wouldn't fly Ryanair. Why? Uh, reputation. Partly to do to do with turnaround, but it it's also to do with it maybe it's business structure mm-hmm. that I would not support. You don't agree with the way they the, run their company. The way as they you run things, it. and but it's not yeah. a safety thing necessarily. Not necessarily. But no. that might be part of it. Aeroflot, they've had the most accidents, haven't they? They have, but yeah, kind of. I I would fly with Aeroflot. I would like to ask you actually about that ageist thing because mm. it might be the case now that airlines don't seem to be ageist but it wasn't all that long ago I mean five or six right. years ago that Virgin Atlantic was still advertising the trolley dollies yeah. albeit a kind of ironised 1960s nostalgia version but you know basically saying come on our airline yeah. our flight attendants are well fit in it and they were and, and they are <laughs> and they were and they are and is that wrong I mean does that mean that they're turning away women that aren't so good looking and, and a lot of men I really hope not because I didn't get through to Virgin in one of my interviews <laughs> That would be really gutting to find that. But it, it did used to be, there was a lot of uh, talk recently about weight of cabin crew. Mm. And I think as long as you can do your job, as long as it doesn't have a negative impact on your safety, I think they should be, be inviting everyone to be cabin crew. But it didn't used to be like that. When I worked for Caledonian, which is now defunct, uh, we used to get weighed no. to make sure <laughs> that we... You know that we hadn't kind of put on weight. Your your weight, you had, and that wasn't uh, to do with the lessons. weight of the plane. That no. was to do with presenting the right image. <laughs> that was to do with presenting the right image. I'm guessing the men weren't weighed. No, I don't remember the men being weighed. Possibly they might have been, but I don't remember the men being weighed. And that was kind of the last humiliating. Yeah, yeah, and and there was. I mean, a, probably not when you're 19 and good looking, but it's humiliating if you're not. No, I I do. Yeah, I do remember it. And and then there would be rumours that someone had been called into the office because they'd put on some weight and they they'd gone up to horror of horrors a size 14 or 16. And and you you just oh, even then we we would think, oh, do you know that's that's harsh. That that's wrong. You you can't judge someone by their weight. This it's not right. Really isn't. And the other problem, I guess, with that whole kind of Pan Am glamour thing, you know, which which does play a role, I suppose, in getting people excited about being cabin crew. But the other problem is it it, it perhaps legitimises for some passengers that it's all right to molest the staff. Yeah, I mean, it's really annoying when someone pinches your bum. You kind of want to kick them in the balls, but obviously you can't because you have to be nice and, and customer service. How often would that happen? Quite a lot. Again, I think it's changed. How much is quite a lot? Uh, perhaps a couple of times a month. Really? But again, 24 times a year, someone would pinch your bum and you never said anything. I had a nice bum, what can I say? Um, it, it, yeah, you if would say If you were a police things. officer, you could arrest them. Yeah, it, it was kind of before... Most of this this was kind of, uh, say, I think, seven, eight years ago, the particular airlines that I was working with then. And you, you just didn't really say anything. You just kind of, oh, he's pinched my bum, for goodness sake. And 
it didn't yeah it didn't occur to you to say anything or make a fuss and it wasn't just the girls that get their bum pinched it's the boys too but did they feel a responsibility to flirt along even i think you, you did yeah to a certain extent you would brush it off i don't ever remember feeling it was a threatening thing i remember feeling it was just something it's cheeky. I, yes it was cheeky and it was naughty but it and, is molesting someone and actually uh, yeah i did want to kick them in the balls or, or you know shove an elbow in the face but it was easier I think to to just kind of go along with it and go oh yeah you know that was funny get off uh, and, and don't do it again and if you if you do it again you're, you're not having a drink or something and generally that would stop it it never got further than that but think times are changing now if I was working now and someone pinched my bum yeah. I would report it to the senior crew whereas then it it was just kind of brushed off so anyone listening to this now who's about to set off on a flight for business or pleasure how should they behave? What should they do as a passenger to get the most out of their cabin crew? You need to just kind of be aware that the cabin crew are people. They're, they're not little waitresses trotting around with, with a cup of tea and, and that's it. There's a whole depth to them and they are looking after you in your metal tube at 35,000 feet. So if you are if you are nice to cabin crew and if you are polite, I'm not suggesting you go overboard and bring them, you know, a box of chocolates and a bunch of flowers, but if something does go wrong or if there's something you're not happy with, you know, don't have a massive go at the cabin crew because there's nothing they can really do. They can't get you fresh fries from McDonald's when you're flying over Portugal or something. It's just not going to happen. Uh, I think just just being polite, it won't get you an upgrade, though. <laughs> Daisy White. And since leaving the skies, she's now an author of young adult novels. Her first Ruby Baker crime novel is called Before I Left. And it's out now. You can find out more about that and her at daisywhiteauthor.co.uk. Alex Fox is up next after this. Uh, before we find out what your challenge is for next month, let's pause to thank our sponsors for the Zeitgeist this month, BBC Maestro. Yes, BBC Maestro is a subscription-based streaming platform. It's got loads of amazing online courses that you can take part in, which are taught by some really incredible names. Yeah, like Alan Moore, Julia Donaldson. It's a, an incredible repository of online video lessons from people who really know what they're talking about. Um, I'm really excited because Bill Lawrence is on there. Do you know who that is? I don't. Should I know this? He's a, well, no, it's a geeky thing to know who he is, but okay. he's, a, he's a comedy writer. Mm. And he's done an online course for BBC Maestro in writing comedy for television. He's the guy behind Scrubs and Ted Lasso. The thing about these courses is they're long. Like, he's, it's not just guy talks to camera for half an hour and shares some tips that you'd get if you went to go and see them speaking at any literary event. He has done a bespoke 21-lesson, four-and-a-half-hour course on how to write comedy for TV, how to pitch, how to work with actors, how to find your voice. I mean, they're proper deep dives. The one that really stood out for me, though, is... Um Brian Cox teaching acting. And mm. I, I don't think I've ever said this to you, Ollie. But I remind you of Brian Cox? You, you're... I do have that steely determination. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's say yeah. But I have always wanted to learn how to act properly. I don't necessarily want to be an actor, but I just quite like the idea of um, knowing how to act. And the thing about Brian Cox is, I mean, what a name to be teaching you something like yeah. acting. Well, there'd be transferable skills, wouldn't there? Even if you have no intention of being an actor, you know, the, the things that he's going to be talking about in that course, how to work with other actors, how to interpret your character, how to learn your lines, all of that stuff might be relevant for whatever you do for a job. Yeah, I was thinking more of explaining to my other half that I did put the clothes away. She just thinks that I didn't, but then I could act the way that I did. 
<laughs> or, you know, maybe you will make that pivot, Ollie. You know, there's there's always roles for the back half of the calf in uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. You're saying I'd be <laughs> a literal ass. Anyway, uh, if this appeals to you as it should, then use the code MAN to get 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription at bbcmaestro.com. Yes, go to bbcmaestro.com and use the code M-A-N-N to get your 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription, which gives you access to every single BBC Maestro course. Let the greatest be your teacher with BBC Maestro. It's time to dip our fingers into the world of sex and then gently glide along your sexual questions. It's the foxhole with Alex Fox. Hello, Alex. Hello, Ollie. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. What have you been up to? I learned a fascinating new word this week, Ollie. And you like words. I do. I have many of them tumbling out of my mouth like some kind of waterfall of uh, verbal diarrhoea every single day. A diarrhoea waterfall. What is a live image to kick (laughs) off our sex section? Let's talk about sexy stuff, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I wouldn't think if it's a sexual term that there are many words you are unfamiliar with. What is it? A side. Have you heard of a side? Yeah. No. I mean, yes, I've heard of a side, as in a side order in a restaurant. Uh, This is very different from the creamed spinach that you might order with your roast beef. Oh dear. Uh, Although going to a Toby Carvery is never going to be the same for me now. You know, in gay anal sex, people describe themselves as either a top or a bottom. Oh yeah. Uh, A top being the perceived dominant partner, the one who who does the insertion, the penetration, Mm. and the bottom being the person who is the recipient of that. Offering up their bottom. Yeah. Well, a side is someone who doesn't want to do either of those things, who would rather just uh, have a hand job or have some oral sex or stand by the side watching. So Has there really not been a term for that no. before? Because I know lots of gay men who say, oh yeah, I, I've never had anal sex. It's not my thing, but I am gay and I have sex. Well, historically, and I think still now, this has been quite problematic within gay culture that many people, including those who identify as homosexual or, or, or queer in some way, think that they must have to have anal sex in some way and that that's a key part of the gay identity, when in fact it's not. You don't have to do that if you don't want to. And now people are inventing new words to describe those new identities of people who don't want to be involved in that particular type of act. OK, thank you. Hashtag always learning. <laughs> Let's take our listener question of the week. It is sponsored as ever by our friends at mycondom.com. Who stock vegan condoms? Now, most condoms actually contain a milk protein, which makes uh, the latex they're constructed of more smooth. Uh, Vegan condoms substitute that with a thistle extract to help with that smoothness. Thankfully, they're not filled with actual thistles, which would just be (laughs) painful and horrible. Excellent. The question this week comes from a chap who's decided to remain anonymous and says, Alex, my wife and I are both delighted she is pregnant with our second child. Way! Congratulations. Uh, This, however, is affecting our intimate time. It seems to be mainly logistical. So can you please provide us with some pregnancy sex positions. First of all, I'd like to reassure listeners that it is safe to have sex, uh, provided you've not been told specifically by your doctor that there is a a particular issue in the case of your pregnancy that you need to be aware of. It's A-OK to still continue to get your leg over right up until a woman's waters break. Uh, In fact, that's the way that some people induce a pregnancy Mm. if they're due Mm. uh, and they want to hurry things on a little bit. One Um, of the few times that avenue was open to me during that nine-month period was uh, when we'd been advised to do so 
so by a uh, <laughs> birth practitioner. Well, as you and your wife know, uh, babies, while they're developing, are encased within a, a protective sac of amniotic fluid, like a big, a big watery bubble that's designed to cushion them and protect them. Uh, and also the entrance to the cervix develops a plug of mucus, which is designed to protect uh, the womb from the entrance of any bacteria or viruses or things like that. Mm. So the body does do things which can make sex more practicable in some ways, but it also grows a massive great hump, a lovely lady hump, which can physically get in the way. Okay, so how do you navigate that if your usual position would involve the lady compromised around the stomach area? The first up is a position that I like to call the wishonary position because it's like missionary, but it answers the extra wishes that you might have while you're expecting a baby. Okay, how does that work? Well, you know, in traditional missionary, the yes, woman... Yes, lay- I actually don't need you to explain that one to me. <laughs> it's one of the few positions that I am familiar with, yeah. Well, as you'll know, the lady lays on her back. Mm. Uh, there are two issues with that during a pregnancy. The first being that oftentimes uh, when women lay down whilst they're expecting, they can feel quite dizzy and, and sort of disoriented and that can just be generally uncomfortable and unpleasant. And also after around 20 weeks, there is a risk that because the uterus is... Um, larger than usual uh, if you lay down it can actually slip back up the body and press against the aorta one of the main blood vessels in the body this can restrict blood flow to the placenta which can actually put the baby in danger the wishonary position changes things up by asking the lady to uh, lay on her side and then bring her top leg up so just bend her knee and bring her leg up mm-hmm. The man then straddles her bottom leg and enters her that way. It should feel great for both partners, but it takes strain off the lump. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lump? The bump. The baby. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> <laughs> the creation that you've worked to produce. Oh, oh, the context in which I talk about lumps and bumps really do span the entire gamut from beautiful to postulous, don't they, within the context of my job. Uh, yeah, laying on her side will mean uh, that any danger of uh, pressure on the aorta is taken off, and also it just takes off the pressure pressure of the baby pushing upon the mum's spine. Okay, so that's the wishonary. What else have you got for us? The foggy doggy. Right. Do you write all these yourself? How can you tell? (laughs) Okay, so the foggy doggy, I'm guessing, is a take on doggy style. Uh, What's the issue with doggy style? Uh, well, doggy style is actually a really good option for well, pregnant couples thinking, yeah. um, because uh, often women can get quite achy backs mm. uh, and being on all fours. It's a Pilates position. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. However, during pregnancy, women's body core temperature rises from about 37 degrees C to 37.8 degrees, so they can feel mm. a little bit hotter. The foggy bit comes in during the doggy when you... Take a a fan, fish out a fan that you've been using during the summer and position it at the head of the bed or on your bedside table so you've got a cooling breeze uh, flying over you during sex, especially if sex is... If you're, if you're really if you're going if you're at it a yeah. little bit mm-hmm. and you're going to get even hotter mm. to enhance this beautiful sensory experience more you could also consider adding scent now women's sense of smell can change quite a lot when they're expecting things uh, scents and fragrances that usually they would have found very attractive can suddenly seem very nauseating and vice versa uh, certain smells that they wouldn't wouldn't usually do anything for them can suddenly be something that they crave so if our writers 
partner can find a fragrance that she really loves in like a reed diffuser or something, mm -hmm. then they can place that in front of the fan so you have a scented fog that's blowing all over you during the copulatory act. That's lovely. And it's quite romantic, isn't it? It is. I'd also like to underline that although it is a great thing to continue a sex life throughout pregnancy, it's good for producing endorphins, so both partners feel happier and healthier. Uh, in the woman's case, this can actually have a very positive effect upon her pregnancy. If she feels safe and elated and bonded and connected with her partner, then she's likely to feel less stressed. Well, also still sexy as well. Obviously, yeah, changing exactly. body shape is a big concern for a lot of women. Precisely. And, and uh, to feel loved and adored and admired in that way is really important. However, you don't need to have penetrative sex in order to engender those feelings and that sensation of closeness. Uh, another position that I recommend, I call the heaped spoonful, because it's basically spooning when you've got the heap of uh, a hump on the front of you, a, lov mm. a lovely bump. Um, it's exactly the same as the spooning position uh, any other time of, the, of, of your life. So uh, the lady lays on her side, the man snuggles up behind her and enters her from behind, except in this case he doesn't enter her. Just cover yourselves in lots of lovely slippery lube and focus on going really slowly. Just uh, if she if she closes her legs tightly together and then he inserts himself just between her legs, concentrating on the feelings for both of them of him rubbing his penis up and down her vulva mm. and between her thighs, but not actually entering her. That can be a lot more comfortable for her, but also it does create this feeling of closeness without having to put a P in a V. Very good advice as ever. Alex, if people have a question of sex for next week's episode, what should they do with it? They should lumber on over to our website, modernman.co.uk, on the end there, .co.uk, and click on feedback. And if they want to buy themselves some condoms so that they definitely don't get pregnant and they never have to consider this nightmare of sex during pregnancy. <laughs> or if they want to buy some fantastic lubricant so they can practice the heap spoonful. They should head to mycondom.com. And use the code FOXHOLE, F-O-X-H-O-L-E, to get 15% off everything. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this week's Modern Man, but there is just time to anoint a new ambassador. It's Arno from Utrecht who's written in. He says, your show makes my train ride to and from work much more pleasurable. I've not heard anyone from the Netherlands receive an ambassadorship, let alone Utrecht, my hometown. You should come and visit. We have canals and we have beautiful old buildings just like Amsterdam. He's got a canal, folks. He's the clear winner this week. Uh, Arno, I am proud to make you my ambassador for Utrecht. Wear it well. Our theme is by Django Django. They have a new album out. It's called Marble Skies. You can pre-order that now. And this is our record of the week. It's by Tired Lion. It's called Fresh. And it's out now on due process. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill. And we'll see you next Tuesday. 